If a year was something that buffered, we'd now be approaching 2.8%. It will take some time to see how this particular calendar will resolve, but the past week certainly provides some evidence of turbulence to come. Still, there's a long way to go, and Charlottesville Community Engagement seeks to provide one channel of information to steady your way. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. In this installment, Deputy City Manager Sanders briefs City Council on efforts to make 5th Street Extended safer, and Council holds first reading on two affordable housing projects on Park Street. Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin fills out his cabinet with picks for labor, health and human resources, and transportation. And more legislation is filed in the Virginia General Assembly that shows the signs of a Republican majority in one of the houses. Today's subscriber-supported public service announcement goes out to Camp Albemarle, which has for 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a civilian conservation corps project that sought to promote the importance of rural activities. Camp Albemarle seeks support for a plan to winterize the Hamner Lodge, a structure that was built in 1941 by the CCC and used by every fourth and fifth grade student in Charlottesville, Albemarle for the study of ecology for over 20 years. Consider your support by visiting campalbemarleva.org slash donate. Virginia continues to be in a plateau of a high number of COVID cases, and hospitalizations are now on the rise. Today, the Virginia Department of Health reports a 7-day percent positivity of 35.6%, with another 15,643 new cases. The Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association reports a new record of COVID hospitalizations today, with 3,681. Of those, 567 are in intensive care units and 314 are on ventilators. To address the issue, outgoing Governor Ralph Northam has issued a 30-day limited declaration of emergency to increase the number of hospital beds. In a release, the governor states that the number of people hospitalized is placing stress on Virginia's general hospitals and nursing facilities. He also stated that the overwhelming majority of those hospitalized are unvaccinated. Among other things, Executive Order 84 authorizes some state officials to move more quickly with procurement efforts and allows the state health commissioner to temporarily increase the number of hospital beds authorized to operate in the Commonwealth. The Blue Ridge Health District reports another 202 new cases today, and the percent positivity has increased to 28.3%. District officials will hold a town hall meeting tonight beginning at 7 p.m. The item was rescheduled from last week due to the winter storm. If you have got a lot of damaged tree limbs and other vegetation and have a way to get it to the Ivy Materials Utilization Center, there will be no fees to drop it off through January 17th. Albemarle and Charlottesville have both agreed to pay the Rivanna Solid Waste Authority to waive the fees. The Ivy Center is located at 4576 Dick Woods Road, and the material can be dropped off during regular hours. Here's a section from the RSWA website. Vegetative debris collected will be ground into mulch and available for purchase at Ivy MUC. Residents must show proof of residency and state that the debris is storm-related. 
Last week, Deputy City Manager Sam Sanders told City Council that the city cannot yet offer curbside pickup due to staffing shortages that have been worsened due to the pandemic. On Facebook today, the Charlottesville Department of Public Works officials stated that they are in the process of preparing for a special citywide debris pickup service to assist with cleanup efforts from the recent weather event. Timing and scheduling information are still being finalized and those details will follow soon. In five days, Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin will be sworn in, and he's now filled a good portion of his cabinet. This morning, Youngkin announced that his Secretary of Health and Human Resources will be John Little, who has recently been the president of Magellan Health. That company was just purchased by another company last week for $2.2 billion. Little has previously served as the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Resources in Virginia and as Director of Intergovernmental Affairs for the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. In a statement, Youngkin said that Little would be an asset as we fix our broken mental and behavioral health system, ensure Virginians have access to affordable free market health care options, and reform our health care safety net to save taxpayer dollars and improve health care outcomes. There's no word yet on a replacement for Norm Oliver as Virginia's Commissioner of Health. Kay Cole James has been selected as the Secretary of the Commonwealth. James has most recently served as the president of the Heritage Foundation and has a long history in working in Republican administrations in both Richmond and Washington, D.C. According to the release, Kay served as Virginia's Secretary of Health under Governor George Allen and developed Virginia's landmark welfare reform. James has served as co-chair of Youngkin's transition team. A long-term member of the Commonwealth Transportation Board will serve as Yunkin's Transportation Secretary. W. Shepard Miller served on the board from 2011 to 2014 and joined it again in 2018 when appointed by Governor Ralph Northam. Speaking of the CTB, it next meets tomorrow and Wednesday. Youngkin selected George Brian Slater as Secretary of Labor. Slater has previously served in Republican administrations in Richmond and D.C., including Secretary of Administration under Governor Jim Gilmore. He served as Assistant Secretary for Administration and Management at the U.S. Department of Labor in the Trump administration. Speaking of the Secretary of Administration, the next one will be Margaret Lynn McDermott. The Secretary of Administration includes the Departments of General Service, Human Resource Management, and elections, as well as the Virginia Information Technologies Agency and the Compensation Board. McDermott also worked as Chief Information Officer for the Federal Reserve Information Technology Office from 2013 to 2020. With regards to another nomination, Congressman Donald McEachin has sent a letter to Virginia Senate Majority Leader Richard Saslaw urging the General Assembly to block the nomination of Andrew Wheeler as Secretary of Natural Resources. McEachin cited several times state legislators have blocked judicial appointments and board nominations in Virginia. For example, in 2006, the Republican-led Senate rejected Governor Kane's choice for Secretary of the Commonwealth. There's a link to that letter in the newsletter. The opening of the 2022 Virginia General Assembly is in two days, and there aren't too many days I'll be able to write out interesting bills, but I will be switching over to reporting on what happens with as many of them as I can. Hundreds of bills will be filed, and many will be dismissed in committee. The pace has seriously picked up, so this is a much shorter list. 
Republicans continue to file bills to undo changes the Democratic majority made to various laws, particularly in the area of criminal justice. For instance, Delegate John McGuire, a Republican from the 56th District, has filed a bill to lower the threshold for felony larceny back to $500, down from the increase to $1,000 made within the last two years. McGuire also has a bill that would prevent localities from creating a police civilian review board. Delegate Marie March, a Republican from the 7th District, has a bill that would require school buses to have decals that say, In God We Trust and One Nation Under God. March has another bill that would prevent governments from doing any activity that a private business could provide. Delegate Nick Freitas, a Republican from the 30th District, has a bill that would remove powers of the State Air Pollution Control Board and the State Corporation Commission to regulate carbon emissions in order to meet previously stated greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals. Delegate Scott Wyatt would limit absentee voting to 10 days before an election, would require an absentee ballot to have the last four numbers of a voter's social security number, and would add other restrictions. Delegate Chris Runyon, a Republican from the 25th District, has a similar bill to Wyatt's that would require witnesses to absentee ballot certification to also provide a signature, name, address, date of birth, and the last four digits of their social security number. Wyatt has a bill similar to others that would repeal provisions that prevent law enforcement officers from pulling motorists over for certain infractions, potentially ending another Democratic initiative. Delegate Glenn Davis, a Republican from the 84th District, has a bill that would allow ranked-choice voting in party primaries, including the presidential election. And finally, Delegate Mike Cherry, a Republican from the 66th District, has a bill to repeal the prohibition of having firearms on school property. More tomorrow. Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin has pledged to withdraw Virginia from an interstate cap-and-trade program known as the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI. He said he would do that through an executive order. Whether or not he's successful, Virginia so far has received $227.6 million from the program, and just under half of it is intended to help localities pay for projects to mitigate the threat of additional flooding. The third round of applications has opened for the Community Flood Preparedness Fund. Here's a section from a press release for the application. During the next 90 days, communities across Virginia will be able to apply for $40 million in grants to address the effects of recurrent flooding, sea level rise, and extreme weather. This will be the first round since completion of the Virginia Coastal Resilience Master Plan in December. Charlottesville has had two projects funded so far, and Scottsville has had one. Visit the Department of Conservation and Recreation's website to learn more. There's a link in the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time for a second subscriber-supported shout-out. Code for Charlottesville is seeking volunteers with research skills, design, tech, and data skills to work on community service projects. Founded in September of 2019, Code for Charlottesville has worked on such projects as an expungement project with the Legal Aid Justice Center, a map of Charlottesville streetlights, and something called the Charlottesville Housing Hub. Visit codeforseville.org to learn more about those projects and how you could get involved.
And now the rest of the show to a local issue from last week. The first meeting of the Charlottesville City Council is in the books. At the top of the meeting, Deputy City Manager Sam Sanders explained what the city is doing to address safety concerns on 5th Street Extended. According to crash data from the Virginia Department of Transportation, there were three fatalities in 2020 on the divided highway. Police have confirmed there was another on the night of New Year's Day. We uh, very much remain concerned about the serious safety concern along that corridor. Our traffic engineer has been working to effect improvements uh, with a few updates I can share with you that we are pursuing a speed limit reduction. We have been working on that and you will have uh, that matter before you at your next meeting. Sanders said flashing signal ahead signs are on back order and have been delayed due to supply chain issues. He said some intersection warning signs had been installed. We uh, feel as though they weren't big enough, so we're in the process of expediting their swap out. Sanders said the long-term strategy will be to break down the roadway's current character. An example of that would be the installation of a roundabout midway on the corridor, but that too, of course, is going to be very difficult for us to figure out. But we're committed to doing that, and we want you to know that we're we're not uh, moving away from this as a high priority. Charlottesville has been awarded several projects through the Virginia Department of Transportation's SmartScale program in the immediate area around 5th Street. They are $6.1 million on 5th Street Southwest to reduce congestion, improve safety, and accommodate bicyclists, pedestrians, and transit at the intersection of Ridge Street, Cherry Avenue, and Elliott Avenue. $8.78 million for improvements to Ridge Street to design and construct multimodal improvements along the Ridge Street corridor, sidewalk and curb ramp upgrades, signal improvements at Monticello, curb extensions at Ridge Street at Dice Street and Oak Street, including bicycle lanes. And there's also West Main Street Phase 1 and Phase 2, two related projects that Council has indicated they will no longer support with local taxpayer dollars. In their first land use items of the year, and the first rezonings since the comprehensive plan was updated in November, Council appeared to be willing to approve two projects on Park Street submitted by the Piedmont Housing Alliance. Let's hear City Planner Danon O'Connell describe the one at Park Street Christian Church. The proposed PUD development plan calls for 50 multifamily units and about 54 parking spaces to be constructed to the rear of the existing church site. And here is O'Connell with a description of the project at Monticello Area Community Action Alliance, two blocks to the south. Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville is also participating in that project. The proposed PUD development plan calls for preservation of the two existing single-family homes, 28 new townhome or duplex units, uh, 65 multifamily units in two buildings, and a maximum of 7,500 square feet of commercial childcare space. Because the public hearings for the items were held in mid-December, anyone who wanted to speak to the matter had to do so at the beginning of the meeting. Brian Day represented the congregation at Park Street Christian Church. The project for affordable senior housing has had tremendous support from Impact Charlottesville and the enthusiastic and unanimous approval of the planning as well. To be a vibrant city, we need affordable housing. We are ready to help you make this possible. Kimber Hockey, a Belmont resident, asked council to delay a vote on the MACA project. I'm just um, asking that the council takes a step back and waits to do any kind of approval on this until there's more of a study on traffic impact, as well as the affordability. It looks like a promising project, 
But given the traffic and public safety implication, it seems inappropriate in size for the location. Traffic improvements at the Park Street Christian Church project include improvements granting an easement to the city to allow for brush to be cleared to increase sight distance at the intersection of Park Street and Cutler Lane, as well as a crosswalk across Park Street at Cutler Lane. The affordability level at Park Street Christian Church will depend on how successful Piedmont Housing Alliance is in getting low-income housing tax credits in the next cycle. Sunshine Mathon is the executive director of the Piedmont Housing Alliance. We don't have specificity in there around the exact depth of affordability, in part because uh, you can only finalize that when you've finalized all the costs and all the subsidies, so you know how deeply affordable you can go. Methon said the target will be that five units will be households less than 30% of the area median income, and the majority will ideally be at less than 50% of the AMI. All of the units will accept federal housing vouchers. The city has not yet contributed any funding to this project. According to a preliminary audit by the firm HR&A of the city's affordable housing funds, Piedmont Housing Alliance has received around $10 million from Charlottesville since 2010, including about $6 million for the Friendship Court redevelopment. Mathon said the Park Street Christian Church project will also require city funding to close a financing gap. Piedmont Housing Alliance has submitted a request for $1.5 million in city funding. Uh, I would rather rely on state or federal sources to close that gap. Inevitably, um, city sources have to be part of that capital stack in the current day and age. For the Park Street Christian Church Project, Piedmont Housing Alliance will not submit an application for low-income housing tax credits until the 2023 cycle. The Park Street Christian Church item will go before council at their next meeting on a consent agenda. There was more discussion about the MACA project. Transportation improvements include a realignment of Maca Drive to be directly across from Davis Avenue to make a safer intersection, as well as a crosswalk across the street. The intersection would remain unsignalized. An existing driveway from one of the single-family houses will be eliminated. Councillor Brian Pinkston said there was a lot to like about the project, but he was skeptical the traffic improvements would mitigate congestion. But there's still this fact that at that intersection, particularly 250, where 250 and Park are right now, is, is a difficult place to get through. Councillor Michael Payne had concerns about the loss of tree cover. An engineer with the Timmins Group said the development would exceed the city's requirement for replacement. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he felt good about the project, but asked several questions about its impact on traffic. If we don't address some of those I think they're being addressed, then it won't be, um, you know, a pleasant living environment for the new residents as well as neither for the current residents of, of the, the neighborhood. Mayor Snook said he did not think the additional traffic would result in conditions as hazardous as on 5th Street extended. It's just simply not going to happen. You don't have a four-lane highway. You don't have it divided. You don't have 45 miles an hour. You may well see some incremental increase in rear-enders, in minor, low-impact in, low kinds of collisions. And I don't mean to downplay them and to say that that's irrelevant, but it is, I think, kind of uh, distorting to 
to throw that argument in there in the same breath as as Fifth Street and six people dying. The MACA rezoning will not come back on the consent agenda, but will instead come back for a discussion at council at their second reading that would allow the applicant to further address concerns raised at the one last week. And that is it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for January 10th, 2022. It's a long way until we get to 2023, so one of these days we're all going to get used to saying it. 2022. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I will be back tomorrow with another installment. We are we are certainly along with the year. Now, if you would like to uh, ensure that this program continues to get made, uh, please uh, do consider signing up for a way to pay. There are several ways to do that. You can get the details at infocivil.com. Those details in short are that if you pay through Substack, the company Ting will match whatever your initial contribution is. There's also Patreon, which is a way to get uh, all kinds of things, such as a special podcast that I'm doing for the $10 a month listeners that I am going to do as often as I can. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Stay secure, stay warm. Uh, I don't have to say stay dry because it looks like we're not going to have any more precipitation until the weekend, but I'm not a weather person. But whether I am or not is irrelevant. I'm just an elephant and I'm going to say goodbye. I'm not going to use all that. Maybe I will.